0: Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we welcome the guitarist for Bush, Chris Trainer, to the show. He gives us a little of his musical history with Orange 9mm, Helmet, and his 7 Degrees of Band of Susans. He tells me why, at one point in his career, he was over electricity and how his OCD got him into faux painting. After that, we get down to his almost 20 year connection with Gavin Ronsdale and Bush. Chris gives updates on Bush, his work with Grey Days, and how he's been working with newer bands like Broken Love. Follow Bush at Bush, and follow Chris at CT3Guitar. Follow us at Performance ANX, and let's get right into the show with Bush's Chris Trainer.
1: Hey everybody, this is Chris Trainer from Bush, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. Are you recording this? Should I put just, light? No, uh, just the audio. Okay, let me let me put it on a yeah. stand anyway. Cool. So.
0: Man, that's that's nice. He's doing a more professional job than I am on my end here.
1: Oh, dude, I, I, I'm living, I'm living on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I have all these like. I actually finished my studio the day they kind of did the self quarantine. Oh, really? Yeah. So I just finished it, which I feel super lucky about because it's good timing. It's yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man! So uh, Mark Lonergan said to say hello.
1: Oh, that's amazing! You interviewed him?
0: Uh, no, he won't. He doesn't want to come on. <laughs> uh, but I've been uh, friends with him on Facebook for like ten years.
1: Mark really, um, are we recording?
0: Uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm going to edit some of it, but you know, we we can talk about Mark. I don't think you have a problem with it.
1: No, 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 not at all. (laughs) I was just, it's a, it's a good story. Um, Mark, Mark really kind of helped me out so much. I, I learned how to play guitar by ear. Okay. And I, at one point in my life. I think it was in my late twenties. I was basically not getting certain gigs that I wanted to get okay. um, because I I didn't know music theory and I didn't know how to read music. Uh, and I had this like weird thing. I think it was largely on um, myself. It was largely because of my ego. I didn't want to like admit to anybody or some teacher that like I didn't I didn't know certain things. And um, and then if I try to take lessons from somebody, I, I always felt like there was this weird thing because I'm actually a good guitar player but I don't you know I didn't even know the notes at one time that might have been when I was yeah. working with Mark and he just is an amazing teacher and, and a great spirit and he taught me he, he brought me into the world of music theory and taught me how to play bluegrass he got me interested in bluegrass music oh wow. that's awesome and I had a at the time I had a roommate um, in my loft in Brooklyn Who was playing bluegrass every night, and I just hated it. I hated it. You know, you would invite friends over, and they'd be getting drunker and drunker. And as the as the the more they drank, the faster the songs would get as they were going on, (laughs) just like out of time, foot stomping. Oh geez, I learned to love it, and it kind of really like saved my life. There's a there is a famous book that says I think there's a famous book that says bluegrass ruined my life, but bluegrass kind of saved my life.
0: Wow. How did that, what do you mean by, how did it save your life? Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Um, Because it was, it was a whole new genre of music that I didn't know anybody in, and it didn't matter if I was good or not good, and there's a whole language, it's a whole idiom. So there's all these songs, instead of having to be coming from being in a situation where I was in bands, where you have to, like, create your own sound, create your own parts, Mm -hmm bluegrass is traditionally like playing traditional songs so so it was like here's all this music ahead of me that i can like learn and play and then pick up a guitar and go play with other people and for a while i was living in new york city and i was buying and selling acoustic guitars in between tour to like make a living and pay my rent and cool every time I would go into a guitar store, they would try to get me to play an electric guitar. And I was like, I'm not touching electric guitars anymore. Oh, wow. I I mean, part of it, part of it felt like true to me. And the other part of it, I was just doing to be shocking to people, telling people that I was over electricity and stuff. (laughs) Oh
0: man. So who, uh, who you listen to? Who are your bluegrass influences? What, what did you like?
1: I, Clarence White. Do you know Clarence White? Oh yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean,
1: the, the amazing, one of the things that amazes me about Clarence White is he's just this shredding lead player. And then the band that he was in, Kentucky Colonels, I don't even know if they ever let him take a lead on any of those records. Oh. It was only five stuff. <laughs> and there's this record, um, what is it, 22 or to some number of guitar instrumentals. And it's him playing uh, over a recording of himself. It's just him playing with himself. Oh wow! Uh, That like just traditional tunes, and it's mind blowing to me that somebody was that good and that shredding at lead country guitar, and and really people many don't not that many people know about it. Yeah, nor know about him.
0: Yeah, yeah. My dad was a huge bluegrass fan when I was growing up, so I I grew up listening to the seldom seen constantly, and uh, I'm a I'm a huge seldom seen fan. I grew up listening to the Live at the Cellar Door album. On repeat for my dad, so
1: that's amazing.
0: Oh, it's great. And you know, he at when he got into it, we were living in Haymarket, Virginia, so we weren't too far from where they were playing a lot. So they played the Birchmere and the, the Cellador in Alexandria. So my dad would go and see him, and then he'd come out, come home with a bunch of albums, and he would just play them. And so that that's they're my big bluegrass uh, pleasure, I guess, guilty pleasure. So I, I love. Uh, John Duffy's voice was amazing. Uh, Mike Aldridge, John Starling, they're just incredible players. And I think one of them is either Aldridge or Starling was like a neurosurgeon or something. They, they all had day jobs and they're all like these incredibly intelligent guys. One was like a lawyer and a surgeon. And it was just unreal story.
1: I think Bill Monroe, I might be getting this wrong, but I do think that Bill Monroe, uh, wanted everyone that played in his band to kind of work in the fields in oh, between wow. stuff to kind of like have that vibe. Wow. And also what's I find it interesting as I've moved out here and started being around um interacting with a lot more professional guitar players that a lot of people that are shredding guitar players in the rock world started out as a bluegrass player just in that place with pink who's a good friend of mine. He started out playing bluegrass. He's from Virginia. Um, wow. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a ton of people that are. Andy Wood, who is like a shredding modern guitar player, but he started out as a bluegrass mandolin guitar player.
0: Uh, you know, I think it makes sense because they play so fast. You know, it helps. Yeah. De- I, mean, I would imagine it helps your dexterity. So I know I'm a, uh, like you started off, I'm a self-taught guitarist, but I'm a very bad self-taught guitarist. I just like to make a whole ton of noise. So I just, I I buy pedals and all just to make noise. So
1: (laughs) that's amazing. Well, I think um, if everybody's honest with themselves, nobody's really good at guitar. There are some people, there are a few people that were masters and then a pedal is like a kind of staycation, right? From like a, practicing or taking oh, yeah. a lesson.
0: <laughs> I, just like, I, like, just a little... I 100% agree. With that. <laughs> I but I just got, in fact, it was, it was funny because I had um, Zachary Vex on from ZVex effects and uh, he's like, Oh yeah, just let me know what you want. And, and you know, I'll, I'll work you a good deal because you have me on the podcast. So I told him, I want this pedal called the machine. I have wanted it for 10, 12 years, ever since I saw a demo of it on somewhere on YouTube. And it's, it's this crazy distortion box what it does is, and and you you probably know this how this works better than I do but on a like a fuzz pedal the 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 fuzz actually works on the side at the at the uh, top and the bottom of the wave so in the middle your speaker is just kind of coasting there's no there isn't really any distortion it's not actually distorting anything it's and on a tube amp it gives the amp of you know a, a millisecond or two to, to cool off and, and rest and that's kind of how Zach described how fuzz pedals work. He said, what the machine does is it takes that that sine wave and it kind of creates a, a fuzz tone in the middle. and so you get these really weird fuzz sound I, I can't even describe it. You have to watch the, uh, the the demos on YouTube. It just makes this really crazy sound and he said it sounds terrible but it sounds a lot different and I love the way it sounded. So I'm like, I want one. I want one of those. So he said, all right, I'll work if a, a good deal. I've got one that we used on some videos and some demos and all. I'll, I'll tell you that one. So I nice. got, I got it the other day and I've just been making a racket since my wife hates it. My kids are just kind of scared of it, but it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun to, to mess around with.
1: Jesse Davy, who, um, does, uh, King Tone Guitars, and he, he does a lot of, uh, he's done a bunch of the previous, uh, most recent Bush videos. He also makes pedals, Oh. and wow. he, he wanted to make, a, he makes some really great pedals. So he makes a pedal called the Duelist, which is uh, two distortion pedals in one, oh, cool. and um, he always wanted to make a pedal with me, and, and I said we should make a pedal called, like, The Bad Roommate that just does all sorts of random distortions. <laughs> <You> know,
0: <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's awesome. That would be great. That's the kind of stuff that I love. There's stuff where yeah. weird noises just come out of nowhere. Like, this is great. I love it.
1: I think Bad Roommate's a great name for a distortion I think so.
0: pedal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a fantastic, it, it, it's perfect for an unpredictable pedal. Totally. <laughs> so, um, oh, uh, Mark also told me, besides being, you know, just a, uh, a first-class guitarist and a great guy that you also—he's—you're the only person that he knows that's ever gone to school on a lacrosse scholarship. So I told him I'd have to bring that up.
1: It's true. That was my—I uh, gave up music to play lacrosse very briefly. Yeah,
0: <laughs> man, that's—I don't—I don't think I, I went to a school uh, at in Rochester at RIT Rochester Institute of Technology, and there was no football. I don't even think there was there may have been baseball, but there was soccer, hockey, rugby, and lacrosse. And I still I those are like the four sports that the school had, because it was all photographers and computer geeks and and everything. And I don't I still don't know with only those four options for sports scholarships. I still didn't know anybody on a lacrosse scholarship.
1: It's a, it's they say it's one of the only true American sports. I've heard
0: yeah. I have definitely yeah. heard that. It's it's uh, a blast. I've seen some matches and it's a blast to watch.
1: It was fun to play. I mean, I I still sometimes when I'm like uh either on the bus on tour or in the hotel room, I, I I don't have a television at my house. Okay. So and I, I'm just not into the vibe of television, but uh a couple of times when I'm going through channels, like there's lacrosse on and I'm like watching it and the dudes come on the bus <laughs> and they're like, oh like I <laughs>
0: Man, that's it, you know. It, it, I keep hearing that it's rising in popularity every year, but I, you know, I I, I got to keep an eye out for it on because it's one of those things that unless I see it, I'm not going to go out and look for it. Unfortunately, but I, it's just a really cool sport to watch.
1: Yeah, it was fun. It's not for everybody.
0: No, but I, yeah. I I'm just getting into to regular hockey at this point now too. So, kind of the kind they kind of somewhat mesh a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I'll take it you don't agree good by your silence. So we'll just move on from that. So <laughs> so, all right, so how did you go back, get back into music and decide that, you know, this was a career? How did, how did you actually start playing for, you know, seriously?
1: I mean, I never looked until I had a career that I thought, you know, like in Bills that I, I wanted to keep it as a career. I never got into it to have a career. Oh, okay. I just love music so much it um, I just always felt it in my bones and it used to you know make me lose time kind of like music would always take me to a place where I would forget about the outside world and uh, even so I went to college and I and and I and I I realized it wasn't for me. I went to college down south and I came back up to New York and I was hanging out with friends and I just started playing in a band with somebody, like just playing in bands and playing with music and it kind of took me by surprise when my band got a record deal. And I was friends with so many people that were kind of in the quote unquote indie scene. So it's kind of yeah. embarrassed that I had a major label record deal. Oh man. So I like didn't know how to like break it to my friends at first. Oh wow. Which is so which is such a weird point of view to think about as an adult. But when I was a kid, I was like, Oh no, like I have a major label record <laughs> deal. I out. Oh
0: no. Yeah. Oh crap, I'm gonna make money. <laughs> and so this was with Orange Nine Millimeter?
1: Yeah, I had a I had an independent record deal before that, but yeah, Orange Nine Millimeter had put out a record with Revelation Records, which a little plug here, we are reissuing that first twelve inch that we put out. And it's coming back out on Revelation Records. And before that record oh when before that record had even come out, there was so much hype and excitement about the band in New York City that we were being courted by major labels. that's
0: I, re, and I remember seeing some of the uh, the albums coming out, especially I remember the one with the uh, the helmet that's the, the helmet yeah. album cover. That's the, the big one that I remember seeing all over the place because I spent most of my formative musically formative years in New Jersey so that was all over the place.
1: We were like, wait, we found that helmet when we came out to Los Angeles. We were all from New York and we came out to Los Angeles to record that first record with Dave Jordan. And on a weekend, uh, somebody had suggested to us that we work with that poster maker, Taz. Do you remember? He did like a lot of posters for Lollapalooza. They were that kind of cartoonish posters.
2: Yeah. you yes. saw
1: the imagery, you'd see it. And we loved that stuff, but we didn't want to copy what everybody else had been doing and both chaka and i were really into graphic design so we thought uh, and the guy that made that poster is i don't know if he wants to be outed as who he was but had a very mainstream career and doing photography for like vidal sassoon and hbo oh, wow. so he was an excellent graphic photographer so we bought that helmet and and made a very you know white plain stark white cover with that orange helmet and he did that for us. And on the inside of that record, interestingly, before uh, it became repopularized, we found a picture of a hot rod that Ed Big Daddy Roth had done.
0: Oh, man, and, yeah.
1: And so the, on the inside cover, we had that, and we picked it out. And um, the artist, his name is Jim Evans. I, I'm sure he, he wouldn't care. <laughs> no,
0: exactly. At and, this point, uh,
1: he still does a lot of really beautiful artwork. You should check him out on Instagram. And he said, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to use this because uh, Ed Roth doesn't let people use it. Yeah. So he called us up and he said, send us tell, send us your lyrics and we'll read what you guys are talking about and we'll get back to you. So he liked the lyrics of the record and he let us use the the uh, the imagery.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's another thing I grew up with, uh, My my dad and I used to build hot rods and- so we, we'd get all the magazines, and and, and I know he'd been big since the 60s, and I remember seeing a lot of his work. So that that's that's big, man, getting permission to use one of his images for one of his automobiles. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. He was an innovator for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Going back to uh, your band of Susan's Connection, you ended up leaving and, and playing with Helmet, which was started by Paige Hamilton, who played on two band of Susan's records. So you, you're kind of going full circle here with, with Band of Susan's connections.
1: Accidentally. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I had done a this, the last Orange 9mm LP that I did, we did with a producer named Dave Sardi. Oh, yeah. yeah. And at that time, he was, uh, I think at the same time, or maybe right afterwards, he started working with Helmet. So he had suggested to me, oh, he would suggested to them, because they were looking for another guitar player, to to have me play in the band. And Paige Hamilton had me go out to breakfast with him. Yeah, that's the guy that was in Band of Seasons. And yeah. and we had uh, steamed eggs at some restaurant at the Lower East Side, which is super weird. Steamed eggs. <laughs> steamed yeah. eggs? I don't think I've ever yeah. heard of that. Yeah. Some things are rare for a reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And um, he said, "I like you, and I and and, you know Dave says you can play. I know you can play, so go try out with the other two dudes. And if they like you, you can be in the band."
0: Oh wow! So he wasn't even going to be there when you tried out.
1: He wasn't. He was not there when I tried out for the band.
0: Wow! So he he just had that much faith in in Dave and the other two guys that all right, if you you work well with these guys, we'll we'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I guess, and uh, maybe there's also that element of like. Wanting to appease your band members, or wanting your band members to feel like they were part of a decision.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Paige and I are like good friends to this day. We talk all the time on the
0: phone. Oh, that's awesome. Helmet Helmet was such a cool band. Ever since, uh, I think it was was it Betty or Aftertaste? One of those was the one that really got me into them. It was it wasn't the first album. It was it was a couple years after I guess it was Unsung came out.
1: Unsung was the second full length
0: okay. record. Maybe that, I think that's what it was. That's that's one. Of the, yeah, that, that that's one that they really started to to hit and, and and become a little more popular. And and was it the song was meantime? Or was it the album in the meantime or song in the meantime?
1: In the meantime, I think was the name of that record, and Unsung was the big song on that. Okay, they're both. They're yeah. both. To me, they were both. When I heard that record, it, it blew my mind. Actually, yeah. I heard Strap It On, which is the Amphetamine Reptile. That's the first. Yes. Um, tw- Long playing record that they don't, you know, they don't have records anymore. But yeah. that was the first LP <laughs> that they did. And I remember I was in, I think I was in ninth grade, and somebody had was playing a bunch of records, and they put on that record, and it blew my mind. Yeah, because I thought like this is like Soundgarden, but like way meaner.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a perfect description of it. <laughs> so you know, were you playing guitar or bass with with Helmet?
1: Um, live when I was in the band in the nineties and actually the entire time with the exception of one show, I played guitar okay. for them. And I ended up towards, uh, in the, in the knots, you know, the early two thousands, I played bass on a few of those records as well. Okay, Even when I was not touring with the band, I played bass on a couple of records.
0: Okay. Okay. And so you were with helmet for several years. How did that transition into working with Bush?
1: Dave Sardi again. Oh man. (laughs) I was, uh, I quit music. I met a woman. I fell in love. I moved to Virginia to, you know, like start a new life and have a family. I came up to New York for some, Oh yeah. Sybil. Who's my, my, my longtime partner, my girlfriend, she is, uh, was pretty good friends with Rick Rubin and he was having a birthday party. So we decided to go up to New York city to go to Rick Rubin's birthday party. Oh, cool. And Dave already was there cause he was working with Rick at the time. And he asked me if I was doing anything. And I said, "No, nah, I'm, I'm just like being a dad and like surfing, yeah. you know, painting houses. <laughs> I was faux painting in mansions.
0: Faux. Okay. So what's, what do you What's faux painting?
1: Faux painting is like when you when you paint a room to make it look old or paint wood to make it look like marble.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. that's going to take some talent, man. Totally. <laughs> I
1: mean, it was, uh, you, you know how I got the job is that I was at a party in Virginia and this woman met me and she noticed that I have OCD, which I do. <laughs> and she said, you'd be perfect to do this job. And she taught me how to faux paint. Oh,
0: <laughs> so that's the only requirement. You gotta be O C D. Yeah. Oh man. That wouldn't work for me because I I just let too much shit go. So okay, so you so you end up um at a party at, at Rick Rubin's party.
1: Yeah, it was party. his birthday party, and Dave asked me what I was doing, and I said nothing. And he said I, I think I know a band that's looking for a guitar player.
0: Okay. Yeah. So and then it, it ended up being Bush. Yeah. Oh man. So this was which you know, which album was this after?
1: This was right um late 2001. So they had released a record, I believe their single came out on like 9/11 for the called um Well, the record was called Golden State and oh, the single man. was called People That We Love. And Oh wow. So that record had come out and they I don't even know the reason, but for some reason, they temporarily needed a guitar player. And they had me come and try out for the band. I tried out for the band on the road, I think, in a theater at St. Louis so have a sound check. Oh, wow. How much- yeah, with like a whole audience full of like strangers oh and stuff my- like
0: that. Wow. Jeez. How much, uh, how much lead time did you have to learn the the, the set?
1: I only had to play, I think, three or four songs, or maybe five songs, and I met them in New York. They said, um, do you have a bag packed? And they flew me to, I can't remember where I flew to. Maybe it was St. Louis, but they just gave me a hundred bucks and said, go buy the records that these songs are on, on the Tower Records, and I just sat in my hotel room and learned, learned the guitar parts.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh! So you're just sitting there learning them by ear, then? Uh huh. Wow. Jeez. Now, if I remember, that's how you said you started in guitar by learning Led Zeppelin by ear.
1: Yeah, I had a cousin of mine who gave me every single Led Zeppelin record on vinyl. Jeez. And I spent a summer indoors just with my sisters. My sister had this really cheap, like Fisher Price record player that had, was like neon colored <laughs> and plastic. <laughs> and I would just keep pushing the needle back and learning to learning play different, different songs. That's how I learned how to play guitar.
0: And So that training served you well in, in starting to work with Bush.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's, you know, everyone has a different uh, process, but I was just, my, when I was younger, a toddler, my parents took me to the early Suzuki programs in New York City, so I learned mm-hmm. how to play instruments by ear. And if you have that kind of education as a kid, it makes it pretty easy to pick things up as an adult.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That Yeah, cause, so did you start off on violin then with, with the Suzuki?
1: That's what they said they did. I don't remember it all that well. I remember being on a carpet with records and there being a violin. But I cannot play violin. Like I could maybe fake a little bit of it, but yeah. I can't play violin to save my life right now.
0: Okay, but learning by ear has definitely helped you out in your career then, for sure. So,
1: 100%.
0: How did you find out you got the uh, the gig touring with Bush? Did it, was it, Did they just say, all right, meet us out in this city, and then we'll fly you there?
1: Wow, it's so cloudy. But what, what I think happened was is that they accepted me. Uh, they said, oh, you know, you got the gig or something like that. I don't know. It's not like some movie moment where it's like, oh, yeah, you got the gig. like that Donnie Wahlberg rock star movie or whatever. It wasn't like that. But interestingly, I'll tell, I'll tie this in. So after I knew I got the gig, they flew me to London to do rehearsals. Okay. With the band. And I did rehearsals with just uh, Dave and Robin and Gavin wasn't there for like the, what felt like the first week, but who knows how long it was. Oh man. And on my way back home, they flew me first class home, and I'd never flown first class before in my life. Oh, nice. And, and the movie on the plane was that Donnie Wahlberg rock star movie. <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. It was so weird. <laughs> that is awesome.
0: Man, so, and, so you've been in the band now longer than some of the original members.
1: Yeah, I've been, yeah, 19 years.
0: Jeez, man, that's, that's crazy. But the, now that you had a bit of a, gap because the, the group kind of disbanded for a few years but you, you still kept working with gavin uh so i mean he, he must have liked you know what you were doing because you guys started another band called institute in in between bush's uh golden state and their their uh return album in uh was it 20
1: i think it was 2010. yeah
0: okay see but so there was a quite a gap there and, and but you guys you worked on uh, Gavin's solo album, and you did it. Uh, you guys had a band together called Institute. Was it? How was it working with? Did it seem different with each different project you were working on with Gavin?
1: Gavin and I are have like a real connection, and we change and we accept um, each other's change and like the direction that they're going in. Gavin one time said one of the qualities he liked most about me was that I was malleable, and so. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, every single thing we've done and every record that we've done, even within Under the Bush Banner, has been from a different approach. And right down to every single song, like I want, it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like Bush is his voice and he's yeah. the engine that drives it. You know, you could have that same band with another singer and it would be great, but it wouldn't be the same. It
0: would oh, be I agree Bush. completely. He's he's got a very unique sound and very unique style totally
1: and so for me it's not i'm not always this clear about it but my goal really is is to 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 help him with his vision because it's really his music so there are some songs that i'm a large part of and there's some songs that i'm a smaller part of i think okay. that you know i may contribute more than um other members of the band, but maybe that's me feeling good about myself. I don't know. <laughs> Everyone is different, you know? Yeah. And, and so we've rolled together for such a long time through a lot of difficult personal and also like uh, good times and difficult musical and also really good musical times. So I'm, we're pretty open-minded with each other and we're pretty caring about each other's feelings and, and dreams. So we work well together. There's a, there's a real chemistry there. And even if we rarely have gotten into it at all over the nearly 20 years, but even if we do, once we step on that stage, we start laughing at each other in the middle of the show. It's like weird. Like I can't, I can't be mad at him for any length of time.
0: That's awesome. Institute. Was that more of a collaborative thing then than, than Bush? Like you said, you know, Bush is definitely more of his vehicle. Was Institute more of a, of a collaborative affair with, with you and, and him and the rest of the band?
1: Um, no, there were a couple of co-writes that I, I, have, I think I have like minor publishing on some of the songs. And then also because Paige Hamilton produced that record from helmet. So there was a kind of like more towards a helmet sound because Paige and I were in the room and, and, you know, we, we tend to be alphas. Gavin's an alpha too, but like, you know, you have two people from a band in a room making a record. It can lean towards that sound.
0: It's uh. It's a great album. I wasn't really familiar with it until I started talking to you and, and getting ready for this show. And Damn, I love that album. It's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the track with Boombox. It's just, I love that song. This boombox needs batteries. This boombox needs batteries. Lover's a dangerous love. We'll
2: find a way through everything. Stick out the thought. Thaw-
1: We loved that, it too. We that loved was, that whole record. We were surprised that it, it didn't do better. We were even opening for U2 in Arenas when that record came out.
0: I saw that. How was how was that experience? I mean, that was that's gotta be pretty crazy. That's a pretty damn good band to open up
1: for. Yeah. Well, I never saw, I never met those guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess they got a, I don't know. They got a lot on their plates at that point. I don't know.
1: I'm not judging them. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it was, I, I re- remember very, I remember very little about it. Um, I remember playing a couple of shows and other than that, I don't, I don't remember much from it. Not because I was wasted. I just, you know, I don't remember much from it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine stuff like that going by like in a blur.
1: Yeah, for sure. When you're on tour, it's all about the show. Yeah. And the shows, when they're great, you're in the moment. So, you're not thinking about anything. I find the moment that I start thinking about anything during a show is when I'm bound to make a mistake.
0: I just had somebody else on that said (laughs) the same thing. They, 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 They feel like they were kind of almost out of body- watching themselves play a, a piano part it's a it's it's a kind of a funny story um the guy was touring as a, uh, a a tour basis for our lady peace and uh they they kind of sprung on him that he'd have to play the keyboard parts too so uh he had four days to learn the keyboard parts for their sets and he didn't have a keyboard so he had to make it out of out of paper towels and and a paper towel holder and so he said the first, like, four shows, he's sitting there playing, and he's kind of like this outer body experience. He, he gets through it, and he's like, this is fantastic. The fourth show in, he, he starts to feel comfortable, and then he in, it's a part where uh, the singer is singing something, and just the his keyboard track, and it's just the two of them. And he said he hit the most horrible out-of-tune note possible, and, the, and, and Rain just turns and looks at him like, what is going on? On with you, he said it was the worst experience. So he tried not to think about it too much.
1: Yeah, you can't think about. it. You got to move on. Sometimes it. Sometimes they say to make the same mistake twice. So it sounded like it was on purpose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that. But that's that's some good av- good advice. Yeah. All right. So what have, what were you doing between Institute and then the next Bush album? Was there a we, how much of a gap was there?
1: We did the solo record. Um, I was also doing some touring with Helmet. I did uh, oh, cool. Helmet Size Matters, and um, that band was a really good... There was a couple of different iterations of that band, but the original version of that band was uh, Johnny Tempesta, who now plays in The Cult, and he was in White Zombie. Yeah. And Frank Bello from Anthrax. Oh, Cool. That was a super solid band. And then uh, we did the solo record for Gav. Oh, okay, um, so that came
0: out after Institute then. Okay.
1: Yeah. And that was um you know that 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 song that came out on that record Love Remains the same was a huge success. Yeah. So it was interesting, but it was it was funny we still play that song and uh, people are like don't realize that that's gavin it's so interesting because oh, he has wow. such a recognizable voice but we had we had a hard time like connecting it to all the other music great music that he had made i love that record that's where i met bob rock oh. um there's a lot of great players on there josh freeze who is one of the best drummers in rock yes uh jamie my friend jamie who uh played keyboards on that record and he lives down the block from me and it was an amazing experience and bob has become uh, a good friend of mine so that was that was great
0: that's awesome bob came on the show like a year and a half ago so i loved him he was awesome
1: he's a, he's a great great dude what a, i i always i don't think i think you're born like in a way like he's so zen about stuff
0: yes
1: and I think you're kind of born that way where I'm like edgy. You know, I think you're like born like earthy and angry and edgy or you're born Zen and you can kind of taper off the edges of it either way. But, you know, <laughs> we work with what we're given, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: And sometimes it takes the, the two different types and, and they, you can make some incredible things
1: together. Yeah, I love Making records with Bob. He's the
0: best. He was such a nice guy. I was so, I was actually kind of surprised he agreed to come on the show. So I, I got lucky. I, I, uh, one of my first guests ever on the podcast was a singer named Che Ami Dorval. And, mm-hmm. uh, afterwards she sings with uh, Devin Townsend a lot. And afterwards it's like, Hey, if you know anybody else who wants who'd be interested to come on the show, she's like, Oh, you got to talk with, with Bob Rock. Uh yeah, sure. So she's like, "Okay, you got to contact this lady and tell her I sent you." And after a couple of weeks, she's like, "Yeah, uh Bob said he's, he's cool with that. Just uh let's set up a date and we'll we'll get him squared away." Like, okay, oh, okay. So we ended up talking for like 2 hours or so and just it, it was just it was really amazing just learning about, you know, the bands he was in, Rock and Hide, and then how he got into to engineering and producing and it was He's just such a such a great guy.
1: Yeah, he's awesome. And he's a really cool guitar player, too. A couple of times when we were recording, we played at the same time. Yeah. Which people, you know, you do a situation where you're either playing with a, a band live in the room, which is rare, but Bob does like to record that way, or you're in the control room tracking by yourself. But one, one time... Bob and I just sat up in the control room where we were both playing like rhythm guitar together, looking at each other, and that was like I was like, this is so cool. People don't do this anymore.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. No, okay, so now I have a question for you about touring with Bush, because like I said earlier, you've been in the band for a long time now. And but there were what four albums that you weren't a part of, but I'm sure you've got to be playing those during shows does it ever feel weird to be playing somebody else's stuff especially off that first album that was such a monster for him
1: um at first for sure yeah but not now um an interesting thing happens in performance like of course you learn the songs and every year before i go on tour i i listen back to those songs even though i know them really well like i could probably like pick up a guitar and walk on stage and and play those songs right now even though we've been in quarantine for however long two months or whatever
2: (laughs) yeah
1: um but what happens with performance especially like rock bands performances you do things and like the audience like is goes crazy and then you know, you're like, that was a crazy moment. That was so cool. That was a cool moment. So you're like, let's do that. And those come. So after a while, you know, the version of come down that we play, although there are certain sections of it that are quite true, yeah. uh, remarkably true to the record, there are parts that are not on the record. Okay. Um, so you have to take ownership in some way of what you're doing in order to have it be authentic and i think that's super important for the fans
0: so that brings me to the next question i had about your time with bush and and you you mentioned it a little bit live in the live aspect you can make songs your own you have input into to making personalizing their older material personalizing it to your style is there much of that when there's a new bush album being made do you get a lot of input into the uh, the sound of your guitars and the guitar parts for the songs?
1: I, it really depends on the song. Okay. It depends on what's needed. I mean, I have a strong personality, so I could have a, an opinion on every aspect of the, the song and the recording process. And, and sometimes I do, and sometimes that's positive, and sometimes that's negative. You know, sometimes that may be overbearing but I do try to do only what's needed if I can. And so it depends certain records. Um, for instance, the man on the run record, I did most of those guitar parts in Gavin's house in a, oh, wow. as like a, in, as demos, my guitar parts. And they were all kind of sound design parts, sounds that I had created with uh, my fractal, Axe effects. And when the producer heard it, he said, I don't think that we can beat this. Like, there's such a vibe to it. Those, like, I had a lot of say in. I didn't know that that would be the final say. And then there are different situations where you work with people. Like when we worked with Bob, I learned a lot by going through the process of what he had to offer and what he said and how he recorded guitars. So I think every time you work with um, a producer... You know, the great producers open up space and like teach you and involve you and the and the and the more novel producers maybe kind of have a singular process that they do. And it's harder to, to find your voice in it, if any. OK, OK. Uh, but for instance, this latest um, Bush song, Flowers on a Grave, which which just came out and soon really well at radio and seems to be resonating with people. We did that. We did two of the last songs in this record with a producer named Eric Ron, who's a really great guy. Mm -hmm. We've become friends. We kind of did that song with him, with the whole band in his small studio. And that was a great process. You know, that was a fun, quick process where stuff was just out. Somebody somebody, um, instant messaged me on Instagram the other day. And asked me, "I'm going to do a lesson about flowers on the grave. Do you know what effects you use?" And I was like, "No, oh, I don't even remember because there were just like things on the floor in Eric's studio, and we were plugging oh, in. Wow. We're, is that cool?" And we're like, "Yeah, that's cool. Let's record it." So it happened so wow. quick. That that's my favorite kind of vibe, where it's collaborative and it's fun, and nobody's kind of stepping on each other, and it's just got a flow.
0: That's that's really cool. I like I love hearing that, especially when a band is a lot is as established as as Bushes. It's you know, it's not a formula. So I, I like your, you guys are, are still willing to experiment and and uh, try new things to make a, a great sounding song, which Flowers on a Grave is, is a great song. I, I really, really dig in that song. Oh, thanks, man. So when is, there's a new Bush album coming out fairly soon?
1: They say July, and I think that that's true, but who knows? The future yeah. is promised to no one.
0: Exactly. Especially right now, yeah <laughs> so I, I have a couple more questions for you because I had uh, Sean Dowdell on from Grey Days, and he mentioned that you had contributed to some music, some tracks on that album. Uh, and that album is uh, for anybody who hasn't heard that episode, that's uh, Chester Bennington's first band before Lincoln Park, and uh, they've redone all the music, and they're releasing the album, and it sounds incredible. But they're using Chester's original vocals from the original recordings back in the early nineties, early to mid-90s. What was your part in that? How do you, how do you know those guys and what were you doing for the album?
1: I didn't know any any of those guys. Renee Mata, who's a been a friend of mine for a while, who's a mover in the shaker in the music business, to say the least, connected me with with Sean and asked if I wanted to play on this record. And, uh, Carl Hoffman, who's a person that I've done a lot of co-production and writing with, he's a good friend of mine and Jay Baumgartner who mixed it. I've been friends with those guys for a while. So I thought it'd be fun. I didn't put much consideration into it because I was about to leave for South America with Stone Temple Pilots. So I actually pulled a couple of guitars out of my locker that we're going to go to South America and and sent them over to NRG studios that we recorded at. And, um, I listened to the song. Song was great. I mean, Chester's vocals are just so unbelievable. Oh yeah. The fact that somebody at that age was singing like that and, and saying like that, uh, saying these words and these lyrics (laughs) that, sound fresh and powerful today yeah yeah. It's, it's a huge statement about his place in the history of music and I went in there and I played and Sean and I really hit it off I felt like Sean is like a dude that not only I would be friends with in high school but like we would have been in a band together in high school
0: <laughs> well he he was incredibly nice when I spoke with him so what songs did you, your uh, parts end up appearing on
1: I played guitar on "Soul Song."
0: Oh, that, that's the one his I, son sings on, correct? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's the last track on the album. That's that's such an incredible album, an incredible song.
1: Yeah, I think that's the latest single. I I co-produced with those guys. Um, "What's in the Eye," which is the first song that was released. sometimes. Uh, Kyle Hoffman and the band and I co-produced on that. And then I also worked on a song called Just Like Heroin, which is my personal favorite song on the record.
0: That's a great song. I, it, it's uh, it's really a fantastic album. I was really... And I compared... When I had one, I compared some of the originals to the the new release and, man, it's it's like night and day on a lot of them. There's some that's, that are almost identical. There's a couple, but... The new material, the way they redid everything, it's its incredible. I absolutely love it.
1: Everyone that was involved in it was constantly reminding ourselves that we were doing it for Chester. Yeah. It was it was a labor of love and it was huge. You know, Sean did a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of heavy emotional lifting and a lot of organization and financial lifting to get it to where it was. And when Renee came in, Renee was like really just involved more people and took it to another level. It's also interesting because Tom Wally is executive producer on that record as well. And he cares so much. He's a legend in the music business and he cares so much about this record. And it's rare to be part of something where every single person from the beginning to the end just is living and breathing that record. They just want the world to hear it. Yeah. Not to say that great records can't be made in other ways. It's just rare in these days where everybody just wants it and they want it for the right reasons.
0: Yeah, and it, it shows. It definitely shows in, the, in 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 how it sounds. It's, it's a weird expression. What have you been doing since the lockdown? You've been doing a little production work and and working with some newer bands like uh, Broken Love.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm working with those guys again. But we wrote. I co-wrote a song with them last year. That Justin, uh, who is the main dude in Broken Love and the singer, totally shredding guitar player and even better singer. It's kind of weird to be in the studio with somebody that's a way better guitar player than you. (laughs) Um, We co-wrote a song together called "Shot Down." wrote that song t- two or three years ago oh really and we were like his manager beth was like this is great and he loved it and then i just never heard from them and oh, then really. two years later they're like oh we got a record deal and we put that song out and people really like it and it ended up doing <laughs> really really good well in america but in canada where justin is from it was top five for like weeks oh, i God. think it was number four for like eight weeks six weeks i don't know i'm making that number up but it felt like whatever.
0: <laughs> well i've i heard it and it that's a kick-ass song i love that
1: yeah it's so fun to be in a studio with like a singer and a guitar player where you're like you want to do this and he's like yeah because <laughs> like, as you get older you know in any relationship as you get older and i'm not not singling out any relationship but as you get older sometimes you have more conversations than you do like trying stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then that's that amazing spirit of being like, you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. That's youth, <laughs> so much man. fun. That's, yeah.
0: that's youth will do that. <laughs> yeah. And you also mentioned to me that you're working with Icon Collective. What can you tell me about that?
1: Icon Collective is an amazing music school. It's a college. It's an accredited college that was started by a friend of mine with he, he co-started it. A friend of mine named Christopher White. I, I met Christopher and Chevy, who's also over at the school. We were making a record. All of us were making a record together. And I was just really impressed by the, the quality of the ideas that everyone was presenting and kind of Christopher's outlook on life. And what he did was really genius. He recognized that music schools were um, putting kids out there that that really kind of weren't equipped for the modern day music scene. They they weren't equipped in the DAWs that people were using to make uh, electronic music. And it just has a an amazing mindset. It's basically based on like a hero's journey where people go out instead of like mimicking what other people do. Some, a lot of music schools teach people by rote and they're like, oh, you go through this process and you do this, right. and this school is really about students at, as musicians finding themselves like going through this struggle and through this fear of like kind of finding their own voice and mm-hmm. being able to s- sustain themselves as you know an artist producer singer songwriter they learn all these aspects of it and i'm i'm really uh, psyched to be involved with them on any level because i think they're they're putting out uh, incredibly uh prepared musicians that are leading with their heart and uh their their own talents instead of coming out and sounding like you know sometimes kids come out of music school and they sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan right. which is cool but like you know the world doesn't need another Stevie Ray Vaughan exactly yeah. don't exactly. tell John Mayer he's great but I mean yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: or Davy Knowles
1: yeah <laughs> I mean that that stuff's all great but you know I, I like it when people come out and they, they're working to have their own voice. And it's really inspiring to be around people, young people that are creating. They're into music I never even heard of, but that it's its infectious to like their enthusiasm and their talent is infectious.
0: So how can people find out about Icon? Where where can they go to learn about it? It's
1: called Icon Collective. You can check it out uh, online. They have a pretty slick website.
0: Yeah. I was checking it out the other day. If, if Man, if I was, I don't know, 20 something years younger... I might like, consider maybe I actually learn how to play guitar correctly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows how to play guitar correctly. No, some people know, some people know how to play guitar. Correctly.
0: Awesome. Chris, I know I've, I've kept you for quite a while and I want to thank you so much for your time. Where can people find, follow you, see what you're doing and, uh, learn and, and maybe order or pre-order the new Bush album. If it's, if that's available,
1: you can pre-order the new, uh, Bush album. It's, uh um, uh, bush or bush.com okay. unfortunately i don't have any personal personal wares to pedal. Yeah. it's so funny like doing all these uh interviews and stuff during during the quarantine um people are like can we direct them to your like website or your merch and that's just like i'm not like i have my instagram it's ct3 guitar yeah. at instagram <laughs> i'm not selling anything um just out there trying to you know Trying to be productive and and make music and shine a light on my best self if I can.
0: Well, you had a really cool story the other day. You asked every everybody that was looking watching you what their dream guitar would be if, if you wanted if you could have a dream guitar. So that made that got me thinking. Like, what what would mine be? And I was I was thinking, flying V or maybe a, a Jaguar or a Jazzmaster. I don't know. I like a lot of Shoegaze stuff too, so I don't know.
1: But nice, you like the cool shapes. Yes,
0: exactly. And I thought you got a really sweet looking V. That that I was
1: do. really nice. I'm jealous. Yeah, that, of that is an amazing guitar. We, I played that in the latest Bush video.
0: Yes. Okay. That yeah, that's where I saw it. That, I, I I like the classic Gibson. I'm afraid uh, I've never played a Les Paul. Nobody will let me touch one. But I've, I've heard that they're they're so heavy. And I'm a short guy. I'm like five foot six. So I'm afraid that I would just like fall over with one of those things. So. I, I like the lighter, less chunky guitars.
1: They're a light, less false. I mean, the ones in the '70s are heavy. Yeah, they come in all shapes and sizes. They no, they me. don't come in all shapes. <laughs> they come in all weights, <laughs> and they're the same size. So I was wrong on both counts. But they <laughs> they come in different weights for sure. They come, they come in, in.
0: They come in Gibson and Epiphone.
1: Yeah, I was. I I posted that because I think it's important right now to to focus on um the positives and kind of have a personal dream for yourself that's not so abstract yeah that can help kind of get us all through it's it's better for all of us if we're focusing on the positives i'm not saying that i do that all the time or i'm this like zen person or i'm a perfect person i'm i'm highly faulted you know um i'm, uh, I'm uh, incomplete yeah but but um, if we all kind of focus on uh, giving each other positive things to look forward to, I think we'll all be better off.
0: Really do appreciate your time. This has been great.
1: Awesome, dude. It was a lot of fun and natural. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And tell tell Corey everything's pretty cool in Winchester here still. We're, we're still doing all right.
1: I will let him know, brother. Talk to you soon.
0: All right. Take care, man.
1: Later, my man.
2: This is the end